This is the Lost Start of Communication, hosted by Molly and Trisha. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lost Start of Communication podcast. Today's guest is Tess Brigham. She is a psychotherapist and coach who works with millennials and people of all ages on anxiety, depression, and other issues that we'll get into today. So very warm welcome to you, Tess. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk. Yeah. So let's start learning a little bit more about you. Do you mind telling us your story and your background and what led you to where you are today? Yeah, I'll try to keep it short. (laughs) Um, But I did not, you know, I didn't start off as a therapist. I had a whole other career um, first. You know, my big dream in life was to work in the entertainment business. So I, um, you know, I was a film major in college and I had internships at big studios while I was in college and I graduated and I started working with actors. And and at 24, I packed my bags and went to LA and and I worked uh, at a, as an assistant as a, at a talent agency. And then I started working for a talent manager. And, I, you know, I was about, by the time I was 27, I should have been super happy. You know, I was achieving my dream, but I was pretty miserable. I was really unhappy. And at the time, I didn't know what was happening, but I was having my own quarter life crisis. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so I just quit and went back home to the Bay Area, which is where I'm from. And, um and started anew and tried to figure out what is it that I wanted to do. And what I really liked about the job was I really liked talking to people. I liked solving people's problems. I liked, you know, just chatting with people during the day. Um, But I wanted it to be more meaningful and important. So that's when I went to grad school and became a therapist. And um, you know, to become a licensed psycho- uh, psychotherapist, it's a long, arduous journey <laughs> of hours and people and all this kind of stuff, working with people for years. But um, and then about ten years ago, I opened a practice in San Francisco, and something very interesting happened. Was um, young adults started showing up? You know, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. I was like, oh, wait a minute, I've been here, and and I was I spent a bulk of my my twenties in San Francisco, and. Um, I was like, oh, I, I know what this is like. And at the same time, at the time, they were these, you know, the evil millennials I had been hearing everything about. And I was like, wait a minute, these millennials aren't at all. They're not at all like what I had heard in the news. Like, they're not entitled and lazy. I mean, they're incredibly thoughtful and, you know, wanted to have big, important lives and wanted to impact the world in a really meaningful way. They just couldn't, you know, they couldn't figure out how to do it. And, And what I recognized was that they needed more than therapy. They needed coaching. They needed help like with making decisions and, and, you know, how do you build your confidence and how do you deal with people? You know, how do you not take things personally? A lot of things that come out in the coaching world and they loved what I found is I started integrating coaching into the work that I did and they, my clients really loved it and it was very successful for them because it was a bit of the missing link that people need, which is the actionable part, right? We can have insight until the cows come home, but if you don't have insight without action, then nothing in your life's changing. You're just more aware (laughs) of all the things that you're doing incorrectly, right? You're just more aware of it, but nothing's changing in your life. So yeah. And then I became a board certified coach and um, that's where I am now. I've uh, you know, as my millennial clients get older Um, it's been interesting to see them, you know, as they merge into new phases of their lives, but, 
Um, yeah, and now I'm helping a lot of these, what they call Gen Zers, um, right now during the pandemic and COVID, which has been really incredibly difficult. And I think that's one thing that's not talked about enough. I just saw an article in the Financial Times about the effect of COVID on young people. And people aren't talking that much about, you know, how this is going to affect this, these younger generations. Yeah. So what have you noticed? Well, first of all, are there, have you seen similar trends with people that are a certain age compared to where you were at that age and where they are now? Or do you see changes based on the generation? So the millennials versus Gen Z versus where you were, obviously COVID is a huge discussion that I would love to talk about, but barring that and putting that aside, just in general, is it the same sort of problems that you find younger people going through or have those changed? Yeah. I mean, I'm technically what they call a generation Xer. So I'm in my forties now. So, um, but yeah, what I noticed, um, you know, when these clients started showing up was at the core of the issues are the same of how do I build a career that's meaningful to me? How do I meet, you know, will I meet the one, you know, should I worry about meeting the one or not? You know, do I want to have children? Do I not want to have children? You know, all of those big life questions were the same that I also was going through. I think that the biggest issue was, and I think this is a part that that I always say, I think being young in the world that we live in today is a lot harder, is what they were also dealing with was social media, the internet, the internet giving them so much information. So suddenly, you know, right, when I was young, if you wanted to learn something new, you had to go like cultivate a relationship with someone and maybe talk to someone's family or parent, you know, about how do you teach me this? And, and, you know, being an assistant in the, in the agency world, you know, the talent agency world is all about like paying your dues and, you know, learning from, you know, learning from the person that you work for. So what I found was that they didn't, you know, they didn't see information the same way they were able to learn anything. They could just go on YouTube and do something I think that, and the other thing was social media, which again, when I was young, you know, everyone was poor. Like we were all struggling. We had, no, one, no one had any money, you know? And so, and the people that we saw with money were maybe like far out into the distance, you know, um, got a little different once I got to Hollywood, but you know, I think for the most part, what, what my clients were sitting with constantly was this feeling of, I'm something's wrong with me. I'm not doing it right because I'm getting on social media and my friends seem to be having these amazing lives and they're traveling and they're doing this and they're doing that. And I'm just sitting here working all the time. And, um, or I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, dating and having these amazing, wonderful experiences. And so I think that other people's lives and and we all know, right, social media is like a captured moment in time of, of people's highlights. So even though we intellectually know that it still hits us that same way. So what's happening is, is that they get, they get constant reminders of you're failing, you're not doing it as well. Right. And I wouldn't have any of that, you know, it's, it's the same stuff. Like you break up with someone and I mean, unless you ran into them somewhere, you don't see them, but Facebook social, like it makes it easy for you to like, what are they doing now? What are they doing now? What are they doing now? So, um, I found that, you know, that was the part that I found incredibly difficult and just the amount of choices that we have in the world today, like all of these things. So that was the big difference that I see with young people. I think that with 
you know, COVID and the pandemic is a whole other thing. And I think that um, I don't think we're really going to know how this has affected the generations until, unfortunately, you know, 10 years from now, because we've got people that are graduating. I have clients that are graduating from, um, from college and going into this is their, you know, first year out of college. And then we've got people, you know, got my son who's, you know, going to be 13 soon, who's in that same generation, but having a very different pandemic experience. Gosh, there's so many things I want to touch on. (laughs) You're speaking exactly my language, probably because I am a millennial and it's hitting home really closely. So with, I mean, as myself, I always do delve deep into social media and have a lot of those comparison thoughts. So not going to ask you to give me a therapy session right now, but (laughs) (laughs) if you were to give like, what is one of the biggest pieces of advice pieces of advice that you give to your millennial clients in regards to social media, in regards to um, living in this tougher age, like you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I think, and it's not what they really want to hear. I'm like, limit it, get off of it. <laughs> like, let it, you know, bury it. One, if, if it's toxic for you, then get it off your phone. It doesn't mean you can't access it on your laptop, but don't, don't have it at your fingertips. You know, if you find it difficult, give yourself a break, like give yourself weeks away from it. Nothing's going to happen. Don't worry. You know, the world isn't going to end. And if they don't want to give it up completely, I would say, you know, you can also kind of mute people that trigger you, that bother you. You can, you get to curate it. You get to decide what it looks like. Um, So, you know, make it, make it what you want to make it, make it how you enjoy it. And, and also it's, it's, it should not be the way in which you manage your stress. It shouldn't be the way in which you manage your mental health. It needs to be something that you do that's like a gossip magazine or something like that. It's not going to intellectually bring you some new, you know, great thing. It's just, it's fun. It's interesting. You get to catch up with people and that's, that's it. So I think that if you're really at a moment where you're, you know, struggling, even if it's days or weeks, or even in struggling within that hour, I would say, don't go on there. That shouldn't be your first thing that go do something else, reach out to a friend, connect with someone in a very real way. Um, You know, read a book journal. Like there's so many other things that you could be doing as opposed to um, going on social media. I think that's such an important thing to keep in mind because often I feel like nowadays that's the default of I'm stressed right now. Let me just open Facebook or let me just go scroll through something and kind of numb those feelings versus when I think back to when I was a child and before social media was a thing, even as a teenager, I would write or I would read or do all the things that you're saying. I would have to find something to do, but it's like we never have the opportunity to be bored because we just sit there and scroll. And that obviously, as you're saying, can have an impact on our mental health if yes. we're constantly numbing ourselves that way. Yeah. Cause I think it, it, it's what's happening is, is that none of us ever really have to feel our feelings. If you even think about waiting in line in the grocery store or anything like that mundane, that once upon a time, right, what would people do? I mean, maybe you look at like people magazine or, but you, or talk to the person that you're with, but you know, we used to have to kind of sit a lot and just be and wait and do nothing, or maybe bring a book with us. 
you know, that was, we were, we were forced to do that a lot. And what happens now is, is that instant, like, oh, I have a moment, I'm going to get on, you know, and I know I find it for myself too, where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting or waiting or I'm, you know, somewhere. And all of a sudden I'm just, let's scroll, let's scroll. Like just all of a sudden I'm playing games. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like, God forbid I sit for a moment and just be. Do you think that has an impact on, well, I guess two-part question. Do you feel like there is more anxiety and depression in the clients that you see now in the millennial and Gen Z generation? And do you think that social media or the challenges that we're facing COVID aside um, in this generation are attributed to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a lot of research. There was a big study done by Blue, I think it was Blue Cross Blue Shield did a huge, or maybe just Blue Cross. They did a huge study several years ago about uh, mental health and it was across the board, but what they found was there was a rise in depression, anxiety for young people. So, and so this has been, you know, this has been an issue for a while that more and more young people are coming in with complaining of anxiety, depression, um, which are the two most common, you know, things that you see with people. And um, the thing is, is that the question is, right, is it happening because this generation is more willing to seek help? Because this is the other part, right? Younger people, the the people that come and see me are usually say, oh, I went to therapy when I was a teenager, or I've struggled with depression, and anxiety for a long time. My parent, you know, I work with someone, you know, I haven't talked to anyone in a while. I thought this is what I was going to do. So it, one thing is, is that younger people see therapy, see coaching as a way of dealing with things more. So they're, they're apt to go out and seek it. Um, their parents, you know, introduced them to it, or they knew that their parents either went themselves or, the, you know, it was normalized in their family. Um, and I do think that life is more anxiety provoking, you know, even pre COVID, right? Again, it's back to the issues of, of the internet provides us a lot of information, which is good in some ways and really bad in others that we're, we have a 24 hour news cycle, where anybody, you know, anybody can go and watch anything. And I know in the last couple of weeks, because, because what's going on in the world, I've been watching more news and I'm like, oh God, I got to shut this off. Like this, this is really stressful, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And, and you can, it's, it's so, and there's so many things to, the world is so big and, and, and we can, we can reach everything that while that's amazing and, and, and incredible, it's also really, it's, it's stressful. It's difficult because there's a lot of stuff happening all the time around us that, that is not within our control, but for things for us to worry and fear. Um, so there's that global piece. And then, like I said, you know, seeing your friends excel in life, going to Bali, doing this, doing that on Instagram, you know, hearing about on a LinkedIn, someone's promotion and how successful someone is like it, it's, it's, it's the pressure to succeed, the pressure to um, have a really important life that you can Instagram, and, you know, the pressure to uh, achieve certain things by the age of 30 or whatever number we give it. It's, it's, it's gotten higher and higher and higher and higher for sure. So 
And also the other thing is that they're just starting to see this now, which is because we've had iPhones um, what, since 2008, we're able to see the impact of just the um, uh, the screens and the computer on kids. And it's it does. It's making them more anxious. It's a very, it, there's a direct correlation. Um, and now with COVID, right, we have no choice. But my son stares at a screen all day long, you know. That's what I was thinking is my big fear with COVID for most people, but especially younger generations, especially the people that are still in school, is that they're not going to know how to interact and have social skills once this is all over and be able to interact in person. There's always the possibility that because we've been so starved of it for so long, we'll be so happy to see people again and that will naturally come to us. But I worry for the people in their developmental stages, how that's going to impact them. So I'm just curious what thoughts you have about that or anything else that you have noticed in younger generations with COVID in particular. Yeah, I mean, this has been an issue for a while, which is um, communication and relationships. And right, as I said before, when I was young, if I wanted to learn something, you had to like go out and do something about it. I use this example a lot of my son when he was five, six, seven, something like that. He came to me and he said, I want to make an origami Yoda, like Yoda from Star Wars. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And, and then I was like, I don't, I don't know. And, and so he just kind of disappeared and he's like, okay. And I was like, okay. And after a bit, I was like, where did you go? <laughs> what happened to you? And all of a sudden he comes out again and he's got this origami Yoda. I'm like, how did you do that? He's like YouTube. Um, and so, and so what, what's, what's changed is, is that when I was younger, if I wanted to learn origami, I had to go cultivate a relationship with someone, ask someone, build that, you know, have the guts to do it. And so, but all of that has been taken away from him. So this is what I was seeing with my clients for a while, which is they'll come to me and they'll say, well, I want to talk to my boss about this, but I don't know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I'll email them, you know, and, um, or, you know, so-and-so called me, I don't know, I don't want, I don't want to talk to them. I'm going to text them, right? There's this real, real fear of having conversations and what I've had to do is a lot of it is just coach them through, you know, this is how you network. This is what you do. This is how you ask. This is what, right. And that was really missing with a lot of my clients was that they were already missing that social piece of having to pick up the phone and call someone and ask for a favor. Um, they were really missing the sort of having to get, you know, even like dealing with the feeling of, I'm going to ask someone for something and they could reject me. <clears throat> so for a lot of my clients, this is a big thing was they have this fear of failure. And a lot of it is they haven't had to really push themselves to fail in a big way. So to call someone up and ask them for something and maybe get a no was just devastating. So they just didn't do it. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of, you know, I don't, I don't know I, I don't quite know what's going to happen with the pandemic and what this is going to look like. I agree with you. I think maybe people might be like, ah, you know, I'm so excited to see new people. But um, I, I do think that, unfortunately, while I think it's, well, I think it's the work from home stuff can be really, really beneficial to all of us in many ways. 
the flip side of it is, is that we do need to meet with people in person. We do need to like, we do need to have teams where we, where everyone sees them, you know, themselves, see, be together in the same room. And my fear is, is that we're going to go, well, this is super convenient. Let's all just never be in the same room together and never have that kind of interaction. And you guys know this well, right? So much gets hidden and missed through just words and screens and all that kind of stuff that, that there is a, um, you know, there are subtle things that happen when you're in a room with someone. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm worried. (laughs) I'm optimistic, but I'm mostly worried. And it is, especially, I know you're in the Bay Area too, like that convenience factor is such a big thing here. And I think like efficiency. And so anyways, yeah, that's, it's going to be a lot. Um, So (laughs) I guess with that being said, said, I kind of want to transition a little bit into talking about being in relationships, whether it be friendships or workplace or romantic wise, mental health, obviously is something that we know is super important. And like you said, anxiety and depression is on the rise. So it's most likely that we are going to have connections with people or ourselves are going to have our own baggage of mental health what kind of advice do you give people who maybe are communicating with others who you know have some sort of um, mental health challenges? Uh, meaning like if you have a, if, if you have a friend or someone in your life that has a mental yeah. health issue. Yeah. Like okay. anxiety, depression, probably because they're the most common. I mean, I know I, I would probably say like half of my friends at least have some sort of anxiety, (laughs) whether it's self-diagnosed or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I just, I'm curious of how to approach that. Yeah. I think, I mean, there is no, there are no sort of hard and fast rules. I think so much of it is, you know, you know, the friend, you know, the loved one, like trusting your own instincts about them and how you approach them. Um, cause some people, if you, if they're never, if they never talk about it, but you notice it and see it, there's a lot of shame that they have. And for a lot of people asking for help is tough. So, you know, when you, if you come at that friend and say, I think you need help, this is what you need to do. That could instantly like that's done. That turns them off completely. So I always say that, you know, if you approach, it's really about timing and tone and picking a good time, like not, you know, picking a time where you feel like, okay, you know, this would be, I've been thinking about this a lot and I feel like, okay, you know, they're not, I'm not piling on, like there's not 90 things going on, but I do notice that this is what's happening with them. And I feel like I should bring it up. Then I think it's coming at, coming at it from a place of compassion And from a place of like, I love you and I care about you. And this is what I'm noticing and, and make it so just like with communication, right? I statements, not you're depressed, (laughs) but really saying it from a, from this angle of, I really love and care about you. And I've been noticing lately that, you know, you're not responding to me as quickly or your, your posts seem really down. I'm checking on you. Is, is everything, you know, is there everything okay? That's very different than you're depressed. You need help. So 
you know, come at it from that place of exactly how you would want someone to approach you from a place of this is what I've noticed. I care about you. Let's talk about it. Um, and that, you know, they could say to you, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. And you can just, okay, if they're not really, if you know, that could be true and they might not be ready to talk about it. So you just leave the door open of like, okay, you know, I know you, if you feel comfortable saying, I know for myself, I struggle right now. I'm really struggling with a lot of anxiety and I just, I care about you. You're my friend. I wanted to make sure if anything, you know, if you ever want to talk, I'm here and just leave the door open. Um, and, and, and walk away from it. Um, and, you know, I think that it might be tough to just sort of sit with that, but it's almost like anything, and you guys work with kids, right? It's like, it's that same thing where you're sort of, you know, with kids, especially you're sort of like opening things up to them and being like, okay, you know, like a scared dog or a puppy or a cat, you're like, okay, there you go. Like I'm putting this out to you and I'm not going to force it on you, but when you're ready, you can approach. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, and again, I, you know, it's, it's not your job to save everyone. I think a lot of times people get into this place of, I need to fix everything. I need to save everyone. It's not, that's not your, your role in life, but, you know, just letting them know that you you're there and you care. And I have, um, you know, if you know your friend's going through a hard time, you've talked about it already, then I would say to them, I really want to support you. I know that everybody wants to be supported in a different way. How can I be most helpful to you? So instead of, you know, going, oh, you're depressed. Okay, here's some articles. Here's this. Let's do this. Let's do that. You're, you're finding out from them what's helpful. You know, what would be, what would be good for you? And then from there, you know, if you want to reach out to the friend, I would, I would send like really simple, maybe text messages of thinking of you hopes. I'll hope, you know, I'm around this weekend. Hope all is well. Um, I've had other clients who will, when they know a friend's going through a hard time or really struggling, you know, they might send them like a purple heart as a way of saying, you know, I care about you. And then the, the other friend will say a, a purple heart back or a red, you know, whatever it is, like some, some sort of symbol of I'm here, I'm thinking about you. Someone, someone in this world is thinking about you. There you go. And, and, and so that really alleviates like from the other person having to just get into anything of like, I can send this emoji back. I like that. That's a very simple, but practical strategy you're just saying it doesn't have to be this full-on conversation but sometimes the best thing we can do is just be there for the person we actually had a question from a listener that goes off this same vein so I'll paraphrase that if you wouldn't mind giving us your thoughts about it so the listener asked if it would be possible to discuss friends who are toxic but have mental illnesses and how to appropriately handle either breaking off that friendship or making changes in the friendship. So this person's example is that they have a friend who is bipolar, schizophrenic, and has a history of being suicidal, but she refuses to get help. I didn't want to do something that would cause emotional pain and possibly make her become suicidal, but the relationship isn't healthy for me. This is the listeners quote. Mm -hmm. This is scary for me as a person with anxiety and depression. I have a lot of empathy for her. 
So that's obviously a big question, but do you have any initial thoughts of what this person could do to start taking steps for, yeah. yeah. Um, Well, first I just want to say to the listener, that's incredibly difficult. Like by no means do I think that there is one hard and fast way for you to do this and that don't, you know, however you handle this is how you handle it. And, you know, you are not responsible for anybody's life. I think that's really important for people to recognize. And this is something I had to, as a therapist, right? You are, you're a mandated reporter. If someone comes to you and tells you that they're going to harm themselves or someone else, like you, your license is on the line and they scare the, they scare you to death when you're in grad school. And it's very serious, it is, and I don't take it lightly by any means, but what's really hard is you learn over the years that when someone says, I'm thinking about hurting myself or I'm thinking about suicide, like that not everything is, oh my God, you know, let's call the police, let's do this, right? You learn over time how to really assess where is somebody. And um, and the other part of it too is, is that you can only do what you can do and that if someone is going to harm themselves, they will harm themselves. I mean, I think it's really important that people understand this, that it's not about being flippant and not helping someone and not being there. And absolutely, if someone said something to me, you know, in a heartbeat, I would absolutely, if I felt like this is serious and I need to do something about it, um, because I do believe that, um, you know, you do need to do something about it, that people are always thankful when in the end, um, when you help them, but that it is not, you know, you are not the end, you are not God and you cannot, you know, so don't take that on for yourself. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's so hard because ending, I think what's hard is it's very different than a breakup in a relationship because in relationships, you know, where obviously people ghost you over time, (laughs) like they disappear and you don't hear from them again, but any kind of serious long-term relationship, right? There's a breakup talk. There's like, there's this processing and we see a lot, right? With friendships that eventually people just kind of, I call this person less, I move away. So I don't know if this particular listener has tried to kind of like, you know, do the slowly backing up and I've talked to you less and I take more, you know, I, I don't see you as often stuff, but if, but the best thing to do if you really feel like I want to end this friendship, which I, get, I do believe if you have a toxic friendship, you have absolutely the right to end it. Just because you guys are friends and been friends maybe for 20, 30 years and known each other forever, if the friend is um, a toxic friend and you have the right to set limits and boundaries in your life and say, I don't want to be your friend, like, that's just not what's going to happen. And it doesn't make you a bad person. So the listener mentioned that this person is schizophrenic and bipolar. And so I don't know what, where their moods are, you know, um, and I don't know the severity of, of either of these diagnoses, but I would say that I would definitely approach the friend not during any kind of active psychosis, any kind of like real challenging state. Um, and it's, it's sad because what will happen is they'll be in like a good place and this is when you're going to have to do it. Um, so, you know, I would wait until they're in a place where they can really, you know, hear it. If they're not actively psychotic, they're not, things aren't going on. And I think that it's really about being, again, the I statements of not like you're crazy and I can't be your friend. It's more of, 
I'm really struggling with my own mental health issues right now. I love and care about you, but I can't be in this friendship because you, you know, what we've talked about, or you can phrase it like, I, you know, I know you also struggle with mental health issues and um, that's really triggering, you know, that's really triggering me and, or that's, um, I know the word trigger is really uh, <laughs> people that it triggers people, but you know, I, I, for my own mental health have to take care of myself and, um, you know, being in this friendship with you, I'm finding isn't very healthy for me. Um, and then if they, if, if she wants to get into it, I think you can then say, you know, I'll be really honest with you. I, I see you struggling. I see that you have these issues. Um, and I will say bipolar and schizophrenia are two diagnoses that if you are diagnosed that like medication is really your first line of defense. There are certainly, you know, depression is one, anxiety is one where you can treat it in a different way. There, there is no like CB, CBD, CBT kind of resources for someone with schizophrenia. So I think you can say, you know, I, I based on your diagnosis, you know, because of your diagnoses and on what I've seen, I really feel like you need to get, you know, I don't want to say the U words, but um, I believe that mental health and getting that treated is really important. That's important to me. You're making the choice not to get that treated. That is your choice. But for me and my life, I need to take care of myself and, and I need to be around people that are going to support me and, you know, support my own mental health. And I think that a lot of it is being very thoughtful about what you say, being very kind and compassionate, but also being very direct and very not, I don't want to say the word firm, but straightforward right? Don't beat around the bush. Don't make it about this kind of stuff. You are going to be doing a variation of it's not you, it's me. But you do want to say that like, this is a choice I'm making. I, you can feel however you want to feel about it, but this is my choice. And, you know, I'm, you know, I, I maybe we can revisit this in, in the future, but right now, this is what I need to do for myself. Um, and my hope is, is that they will uh, hear, you know, hopefully they can hear it. And hopefully what's tough is you can't do it in person right now. But, um, you know, be, be thoughtful, be kind, be caring, but be, be direct about it. And then don't do this thing of like, well, maybe we can still be friends on social media or maybe we can still like, like be like, no, like this is the end, right? That's so wildly helpful just having you kind of walk through what that conversation might sound like because having those mental examples is really important and hearing you say like being kind and compassionate I hear that and I I take it and I I want this listener to remember too like to be kind and compassionate to themselves because ultimately they're putting themselves first mm -hmm. and they have to be kind and compassionate to themselves so they can be in a better place in their life too so I think that's so helpful. And just thinking randomly here, I wonder if, tell me if I'm totally off base, but like, I feel like with us having all of these resources, information at our fingertips, like you were saying, tying it back to social media and in the internet, do we feel like we have to have the answers for everything and fix everyone because we have all the information so closely to us? Because I feel like that 
to me, I felt like I've done that before. I'm like, well, I, I should be able to do this. I should be able to save this person. I, I've read all this stuff and, you know, this is something I should be able to do. I should fight for this. Like, do you think that ties in at all? I think it's, I mean, it's a really interesting question. What I, what I see a lot of is I'll see my clients doing what I call like crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing advice, right? Which is, do I break up with my boyfriend? And what they'll do is like, well, I went on a Reddit thread and then I, you know, Googled it and then I, you know, posted it on Facebook and then I, I talked to all my friends. Like an Instagram poll of like, <laughs> should I break up with my yes. boyfriend? Yes or no? <laughs> it is. And I'm like, how many people have you talked to about this? And what I say is, is that yes, all of the information, yes, it's all at our fingertips. But number one, anytime you make a decision in life, you have to recognize that this decision is about you. It's your life. I know that it feels like, well, this is my friend. And, but it's like, you're only responsible for you and your life. This is how this works. And, um, you know, you're not this person's parent. <laughs> so, you know, you're their friend. And so you're responsible for you. And um, so when you make decisions in your life, it kind of doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's really about what you think. And I think that the fact that there is so much information out there, number one, confuses people because they'll say, well, someone on the Reddit thread said this, but then this person over here said this. And it's like, what does it matter? None of these people are in the relationship with you. You are. So I think that having all this information on our fingertips can be, it can be overwhelming and it can be confusing because you'll get conflicting answers from people. So part of this is take what I tell, what I tell people is take in the information if you want, but at some point you're done. Like you cannot keep soliciting information. You need to be done with it and you need to make a decision based on how you feel about it. Like how you really feel. And because not everyone's going to like your decisions but you're the one that has to live with them. It's your life. So you need to feel really good about it. And I know that in my own life and when I see it with other people is when we make decisions that are based on other people's values or what other people want from us or what other people think is best for us, it, it never feels right to us. It never does. Because in the end, there are no right or wrong decisions, just the decisions that you make based on the facts that you have in that moment in time based on how you feel about it in that moment. That is how you, that's, that's decision-making. So it should feel good to you. You need to, you need to feel like it's right. And I think that even um, despite having all the answers, people are like, people are people and we can't control them. And I mentioned earlier about like, even, you know, maybe you're, you're not this person's parent as a parent myself, I think about in terms of my son, my son struggles with anxiety. It's like, even when I, I see with him, like, I can't control these things. Like I control his life and what this is happening here, but I can't make him do anything. He's almost 13. Like he, I cannot force him into anything. So what people decide to do, the help that they decide to get for themselves, it really is about them and they need to make that choice. And so your choice is about the boundaries that you set and, and how you allow people to come into your life. That's your choice. And, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's ending a friendship, it's ending a relationship that really helps the other person. Like sometimes, because if someone is acting out in a certain way, drugs, alcohol, mental health, anything, 
if they're acting out, but nothing in their life, like they're not losing friendships, they're not losing relationships, if nothing, you know, they're not losing their job, if nothing out there is affecting them, why get help? Like nothing in my life's happening. A lot of times addicts will seek help because they're like, I have no one who can't, you know, nobody in my life cares about me. No, nobody wants to be my friend, nobody. And it's sort of like, you know, I, I'm, either I keep going down this road and choosing this behavior or I choose my family and friends. And a lot of times people are like, okay, you know, this is the choice I have to make. That's a really good point. It's, it's some, what Molly was saying before of think kindly and compassionately for yourself, but also it's for the other person. If it's a toxic friendship for you, it's probably not the healthiest thing for either party. But I do want to go back to what you were saying before about the crowdsourcing and the Reddit and it just made me think about the power of talking through things with other people. And even if at the end of the day, it's your decision, it doesn't matter if what your friends say necessarily and the advice that they give, obviously you can take that for what it's worth, but at the end of the day, it's your decision, but there's still so much power in talking through it with a friend versus reading about it on the internet. And when you're reading someone else's responses online, you don't even know, I think that that takes us really away from our feelings about it. So it's harder to even be in touch with how does this make me feel? I don't know. I'm processing this from a completely logical standpoint of the words that I'm seeing on the screen versus when you're talking it out loud with a friend, even if they say the exact same thing that the Reddit person says, you're talking it out loud. You're saying the words. And I feel like when we're speaking about something is when our feelings really start to surface. And so just remembering and thinking in my own life of times where I, we have such an autonomous society and we think we can do this ourselves. I can just Google it. Don't ask the question. But when you're trying to process something from that purely intellectual, I'm doing the research standpoint, we lose so much of our intuition and our instinct that is really meant to guide us. And so just remembering the importance of picking up the phone and maybe that's why so many people are seeking therapy, so many more young people is because it's not especially condoned to go out and talk to your friends and ask simple questions or form relationships to learn a skill. It's we are taught like go use YouTube or look it up on Google. Don't ask another person. And so maybe people are just finding they don't have quality people to talk to about these things. And so they seek professional help, which is obviously an amazing thing, but we can also find help with our friends, you know, talking to people can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're touching upon is, right, that's the cornerstone of psychotherapy, right? That is what therapy is. Because while I do believe in coaching, and I, you know, like to get in there and help my clients with stuff at the very, very core, what you're doing is you're providing a space for someone to talk about themselves completely, to process things out loud, to have a conversation, to have someone ask you pointed questions around it and really get you to think. And what I always love is when I have clients who come on and they'll just start talking and then they're like, well, maybe it's this. Well, I think it's that. I think that's what I want to do. And, and, and they'll sort of in their own way, you know, in the first whatever minutes of the session, basically have a problem and solve it for themselves and a question within, you know, whatever span of time. And it's a little bit like, yeah, that's because you just provided the space for it. 
that's that's all you that's that's all you needed and that is very very powerful which is why right that that in work life and in personal life like having conversations with people is really really important like we can't just have slack and texts and emails like we have to speak to each other because that's really how we get to the root of things yes Great. So this has all been incredibly helpful and informative. Thank you so much for all this information. We always like to end the episode with a take-home tip. So if there is one actionable to-do that our listeners can implement to improve either their communication or their lives in general, what take-home tip would you offer? I would say probably what we just said, which is, you know, it's, it's incredibly powerful when you pick up the phone. I know right now it's tough, but it's incredibly powerful when you pick up the phone and say hello to someone. It's incredibly powerful when you share, like, this is what I'm struggling with, or this is what I need help with. That don't be afraid to reach out and talk to someone. Like people, th this is the thing I hear across the board from my clients. And I think it's really important that people hear. I hear this all the time, which is, I don't know, I was feeling lonely. I thought about reaching out to so-and-so, but then I thought, oh, it's too late. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know, I'm gonna be bothering them. So I just did nothing and I scrolled <laughs> like on social media. And I hear this across the board, which means that everybody out there in life wants to hear from you. Like your loved ones wanna hear your voice. You, the people in your life wanna get those little heart texts from you. People want to hear from you. So don't be afraid to just put yourself out there and say, hey, hi, I'm here, you know, what's going on? You might have to be the one to initiate it over and over and over again, but I, trust me, over time, if you regularly make a point of reaching out to the people in your life in a very thoughtful way, it will start to come back around, it will. I love that. And I always get so happy when someone reaches out to me out of the blue. So think too, it's not just about, you're not, we're probably not going to make them feel bad if you say, Hey, I want to talk to you right now. Great. Thank you so much for all of that. And for being here, where can our listeners find you? Yeah. Um, you can go to my website, which is just tessbrigham.com. I have a blog that's on there. Um, you can find me on Instagram, <laughs> on social media, um, at Tess underscore Brigham. But if you go to my website, you can see, uh, you can learn a lot about me. I have a lot of free resources. And I also have a course on there called Find Your Path, which is about sort of how to live your life if you're a young adult and you're trying to figure out how do I do a lot of these things that I talked about today, this is a great opportunity to do, you know, this is a great way to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, not everyone is ready to go to therapy or coaching. So the course is a great way for you to learn everything that I teach my clients just in this very, you know, in this, um, in this course that won't take you too long to consume. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Tess. It's been so great having you on and I can't wait for our listeners to hear this episode. Thank you. Thank you.